Well, good morning. Welcome to the third weekend service of New Spring Church. I'm so glad you guys are here. And I look out the windows, and for all of you fighting the traffic to get here, I just want to say we don't take that lightly because, you know, they're messing with the west, uh, west of the K96, the, the, the 21st Street there. It's all down to one lane. And so I realize that a lot of you, it was hard for you to get in today, and, and I just appreciate that. We want you to know it means a lot to us that you're here in our service today. Um, welcome to the th- last weekend of the running series. And running is all about the book of Jonah. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, there's a story of God's prophet. It would be like the modern-day equivalent of a pastor. And there are four chapters in the book of Jonah, and we've seen Jonah running in the first three chapters. And so let me just give you a little bit of review in case this might be your first weekend to be with us. But in the first chapter, Jonah is running away from God. Jonah's job is to be a a communicator for God. His name means dove. We get the idea that Jonah is, he likes to be a peacemaker. He doesn't want to say anything controversial. He doesn't want to upset anybody. He he likes saying things that people like to hear. And early in his ministry, God had that job for him. His responsibility was to communicate some very, very positive message, uh, messages to the people, and Jonah did, and it made him very popular, and they, the, the people loved to hear him. Well, one day, God came to Jonah and said, I have a brand new assignment for you. There's a place called Nineveh, and I want you to go there, and I want you to communicate the message. Now, if you grew up in church as I did, you sort of know the story that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, like God told me to go to Augusta or Derby or someplace like that. But Nineveh is very, very different. It's a very different kind of situation for Jonah. First of all, these were not Jonah's people. They were not Jews. Um, And on top of that, these were very mean people. This was a very bad neighborhood in the world. Nineveh was the second most powerful city in the world, and it was the meanest by far. They had over a thousand years of experience of learning mean things to do to people. If you study the history of Assyria and Babylonia, there were two kingdoms that were right next to each other. These two kingdoms had basically one idea on their minds, and that was this. Go into other countries, beat them up, kill them, take their stuff. And that's what they did. And they they devised all kinds of new ways of torture because not only did they want to win wars, they wanted to intimidate. They wanted to find ways to cause governments and peoples and nations just to give in to them. And they were brutal. I could keep you here all morning. I want telling you stories of ways they found to torture people that just would make the skin crawl. Uh, And they also had right by the entrance of their city a big pile of skulls and bones uh, that they would communicate to any newcomer to the city of Nineveh that this is what would happen to them if they brought in any message that was politically incorrect or not sensible to the taste of the Ninevites. So when God came to Jonah, his name means dove, peacemaker, the guy that didn't want any controversy. When God came to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them that I'm fed up with them and I'm going to destroy them in 40 days, Jonah's saying, I don't think I want to do that. That is not who I am. That is not what I like to do. I don't think that's my spiritual gift. And so the Bible says Jonah ran from God. And not only did he run from God, he bought a ticket for Spain, which was 2,500 miles away. That was as far as he could possibly go in the, non, you know, in the world. And, and isn't that what happens with us sometimes? When we start running from God, we don't just get a little distance from God. We try to get as far away from God as we possibly can. And so that's what happened with Jonah. He bought a ticket for Spain, wound up on the boat. He thought everything was cool. He went to sleep in the bottom of the boat. But then God arranged, and by the way, that's one word that you find over and over in the book of Jonah. God arranged a storm. He threw a wind into the Mediterranean, caused an awful storm, freaked the sailors out. Jonah, you know, they didn't know what to do. They tried to figure out what was wrong. And and eventually what they said was, um, 
you know, somebody's at fault here, and they figured out that it was Jonah, and they asked Jonah what to do, and Jonah said, you just got to throw me overboard. Save yourselves. Get rid of me. I ran away from God. I didn't do God's will. It's too late for me to do God's will, so just get rid of me, and the storm will stop. And they throw Jonah overboard, and that's the end of chapter 1, running from God. Didn't end well. Chapter 2, well, actually, the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, Jonah's now being thrown into the water. He lands in the water thinking his life is over, and God comes along and scoops him up. Whether it was a whale, great fish, we don't know. The Bible just said God arranged it. And here's Jonah. He's in, you know, in the stomach or digestive tract of this fish, figuring, man, I'm gonna, this is going to be a terrible way to go. And, and he starts thinking, man, I wish I was back in God's will. Anybody here like that? You don't have to raise your hands or anything, but anybody here ever run away from God and you thought it was the right thing to do, but then you're feeling cold and empty? And whether you run away from God and you like get out in the party scene and you start shooting up drugs, or you run away from God and you get into the religion scene. You can do that too. But you're just like, whoo, something's cold. Something's missing in my life, and I wish I could be back. And so in chapter 2, after running away from God, Jonah is running to God. And he's saying, God, would you please give me one more chance? And he prays. And here's the thing that I want to make really, really important out of chapter 2 because it's going to bear heavily on our talk today. At this point in Jonah's life, he's humble. He's not coming up with any plans. He's not buying any tickets. He's not telling God what he should do or shouldn't do. He's just saying, God, if you'll just let me get back in the game, if you'll just let me come back to you, if you just give me another chance. And in his humility, he gets back to God. And last week, we talked about chapter 3 because finally synced up with God, Jonah does what God instructed him to do, and great things happen. So he has run from God, he's run to God, and in chapter 3, he is running with God. Jonah's purposes line up with God's purposes. See, here's what screws so many of us up. We want God's purposes to line up with our purposes. It doesn't work that way. He's the creator. And so when Jonah synced up with God, what did he do? He did what God told him to do in the first place. I mean, he ran into Nineveh. I think he was thinking, they're going to kill me. I may not even get five minutes of this sermon out, and they're going to kill me. My bones are going to be there in the front door like everybody else's. But I think he was thinking, as we said last week, I'd rather die doing God's will than die in a fish's belly. And he goes and he begins to preach. But here's the thing about when you and I get synced up with God, we're amazed at how effective we become. Listen, guys, I've pastored for 31 years. I've met a lot of Christians who knew a lot of stuff. They could talk, they could lecture, but they're totally, basically ineffective. You know why? They've never really synced up with God's purpose for them. I think I spent many years of my life in ministry like that. Good intentions, trying to do the right thing, but not fully synced up with God's purpose. When you and I get synced up with God, things happen that you cannot explain. Stuff happens that blows your mind. And you're saying, I can't believe that I could be part of this. What happened in Jonah's case, he goes down through Nineveh. Normally took three days to get across town. It was a big city. 600,000 people plus live there. Jonah just goes around and he starts preaching. And guess what happens? I mean, the meanest people in the world start coming out saying, yeah, you're right. That's us. We're sorry. And then the king hears about this. And, and the king does something that is extraordinary. Time out for a moment. See, when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, in Jonah's mind, that made absolutely no sense in in the world. Because, see, Jonah hadn't factored God in. Many times we're freaked about God's will because we look at our resources and what God is asking us to do, and we're saying, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't see anything going anywhere. But we leave God out. 
So when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach the message, Jonah's thinking, they're not going to respond to that. What he didn't know, I think, was that God was working behind the scenes. And, and the Assyrian kings have been brutal, brutal leaders. I mean, they, they, were not, they were not intellectual guys. They were not smart guys. They were not readers. They weren't studiers. They just knew one thing, kill people. But the particular king who was on the throne during this time, was he was very different. He was an intellectual. Yes, he had commanded troops in battle, but he, he had been a scribe. He was very smart. He loved books. And he collected books from every kingdom that they had, that they had taken, captive, uh, taken into captivity. I'm just guessing. This is just me. When we get to heaven, we'll find out if we still care. But I'm guessing that what happened was this king had gotten a hold of pieces of the Bible. Because what happened was, when he repented, he put on sackcloth and ashes. He commended everybody to put on sackcloth, set in ash heaps, which is what the Jews did. And then what was kind of strange was he asked them to put sackcloth on the animals. Now, that was not, that was, you know, no, nobody put burlap on animals anymore. But, I mean, he, just had, he was just acting on what part of the Bible I think he got. What Jonah didn't know was God had been working on this guy. And so when Jonah comes to town and preaches this message, the king comes out, and he resonates with Jonah. He says to everybody, hey, we're all going to get right. And awesome things happen. The people repent. Jonah can't believe it. I mean, for, these are the, I mean, imagine what would happen if God said to you or me, I want you to go to Iran, and I want you to go out on the street and tell people I'm going to destroy this place if they don't get right. And everybody in Iran, including Akhmenejad or whatever his name is, they just came out and said, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Let's get right. Let's worship God. Blow our minds, wouldn't it? You start running with God, it'll blow your mind. And that's what happened with Jonah. Ran away from God, ran to God, running with God. Would love to just end the book right there, put a period. But there is chapter 4. So what do you think happens in chapter 4? I mean, if I'm, if I'm reading the Bible and I've read through this, I'm thinking, okay, I know what happens in chapter 4. Jonah starts New Spring Church in Nineveh. It is the Nineveh campus. A worship leader, he's preaching the message. People are coming in. Jonah's teaching people. They're growing. That's what I want to see. But it's the strangest thing that happens. Because after running from God and then running to God and running with God, Jonah starts running ahead of God. In chapter 4, Jonah gets smarter than God. He decides... Who, sh- who God should love, who he shouldn't love, who God should be merciful to, who he should spend his ministry working with, and Jonah starts running ahead of God. I hear this a lot. I've heard it through the years. So I'm on an airplane someplace. I'll be talking to the person sitting next to me, and after a little while, they'll, they'll find out what I do, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this expression. Somebody would say, I don't like organized religion. Or sometimes people will say, I don't like the traditional church. Now, you've got to kind of understand what they mean. I don't think, first of all, it's not organized. I don't think they dislike organization. And I don't think they dislike tradition. There's a particular quality. There's a particular emotional quotient. There's a particular personality that they're talking about. And all they know to use is the organized church or the traditional church. If you've ever felt that way, and many of you have, I know because you come into New Spring and you tell me about it, you say, man, I've only been here three weeks, but I know when I walked in, this is such a different kind of place, and I felt at the moment that I walked in. If you've ever wondered what you felt, let me just tell you this. You do not have the smartest pastor in the world. He is not the sharpest knife in the drawer. You don't have the smartest leaders in the world. What you felt, let me tell you, when you come in here and you love this place and you write me about it and you just get involved and everything, what you feel is you're in a place that is running with 
God. We have not always run with God. I got to tell you, as a pastor, I've not always been synced up with God's plan. But what you're feeling when you walk in is you, you, you're in a church that, where people know who they are. And listen to me, you're with people who know where they would not be if it were not for the grace of God. We know we're not the smartest, not smartest people in the world. We're by no stretch the best people you know. We are sinners. Outside of the grace of God, all any of us could possibly expect is hell for eternity. But we are people who God has put mercy on, and we love God, and we love you. And that is what you feel when you walk in our doors. What we do not like is when we go into a church in chapter 4 where the people there are running ahead of God. They think that somehow, I don't know how it happened, but God just must have had a bad day or something, and he forgot some of the rules. So we got to make them up for you. We got to teach you the secret handshake. We got to teach you the jargon. We got to teach you the nomenclature. We got to teach you the stuff so that when you come in, you will know that you're part of us. And I think that is what we hate so much with good reason. And believe it or not, after God has done so many great things in Jonah's life, he is running ahead of God. So if you will, if you have your Bibles, and by the way, if you're on the main floor, there are Bibles in the back of the pew. If you want to, we're around page 701 is where the book of Jonah starts. I'm going to read all of chapter 4. It's a short chapter. And I, I just want you to get a feel here for what Jonah's up to. The change of plans greatly upset Jonah. What change of plans? God decided not to destroy the Ninevites. You know, Jonah went in and preached. Forty days, God's going to destroy this place. He's going to nuke everybody here. And God says, nope, not going to do that now because these people repented. You would think that Jonah would say, wow, this is great. But he's upset. Okay, who's he upset with? Yell back at me. Who's he upset with? God. He's not upset with the king of Nineveh. He's not upset with the Ninevites. He's upset with God. What is the matter with you, God? And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Hey, I don't want to get into this right now, but let me just say this. When you, and I'm going to talk about what happens when we get full of ourselves as Christians in a moment. One of the first things that gets lost when we get full of ourselves is integrity. He's lying. That is not what he said. Go back to chapter 1. Jonah didn't say any of this stuff. But basically what he is saying is, God, the reason why I ran from you was I knew you were going to do this. No, the reason why I ran from God, he was a chicken. (laughs) And he was scared. But here's the one thing I learned. When Christians get full of themselves, they don't care about telling the truth anymore. The truth is what they make it up to be. Okay, we'll just leave that aside for a moment, okay? The Lord replied, isn't it great how gracious the Lord is with Jonah? Is it right for you to be angry about this? Jonah doesn't even answer. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged, there's our word again, and the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. As the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head, and he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. 
Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? My fear for New Spring Church is your pastor has nothing to do with the economy or the election. I have one basic fear for New Spring Church. I have watched as we've gotten synced up with God's plan and we have begun to run with God. And every weekend, Many, many people receive Christ and their lives are transformed. We are running with God. My fear, it is that some point we might get full of ourselves and start running ahead of God. I don't ever want to see that happen. And it doesn't have to happen. You know, the doctors tell us today there are certain diseases that you can check for the warning signs. And if you can get on top of it early, well, cures are pretty easy. So today I want to talk to us as we just kind of scan through the book of Jonah chapter 4. What are some signs that we might be getting full of ourselves? What are some signs that we might start running ahead of God? You can find the answer to the first one in chapter chapter 4 verse 1. Look at what the Bible says one more time. The Bible says Jonah became angry, so he complained. And I know that the television cameras are, I mean, a lot of people who are watching me today, you don't have the privilege of being in a church like New Spring. Let me tell you what's killing a lot of American churches, and thankfully not here, is that there are people that start running ahead of God, and they get angry, and so they constantly complain. Let me tell you what happens in the heart of everybody running with God. It's not a complaining heart. It's a thankful heart. Why are we thankful? Because we remember what it was like when we were running away from God. We remember what the whale's belly was like. We remember when we didn't have any prospects and we were just begging God, please let me have another chance. We remember that. And so when God lets us run with God, yes, stuff's going wrong. Not everything is the way we want it to be, but our hearts are filled with thanksgiving. When we start running ahead of God and we start getting full of ourselves, and one of the reasons why that happens is when we're running with God, we get blessing. And then we forget who gave us the blessing. And all of a sudden we start getting angry and we complain. And that's what hurts so many churches. Well... I don't like that song. I can't believe the pastor doesn't have a tie on. (laughs) I just don't know about that. Let me tell you where we'd all be if it weren't for the grace of God. And I want to talk to all of us, whether you've accepted Christ last week or you've been a Christian for 50 years. If it were not for the grace of God, every one of us would be on our way to H-E-L-L hell this morning. And there's none of us that, that big. There's none of us who can start telling God what to do. More than that, let me tell you this. I just, one of the things that freaks me every once in a while, somebody starts telling me what God wants me to do. God told me to tell you that you need to do this. And I tell them, God told me not to listen to you. (laughs) 
man, I'm a servant. You and I are servants. We're, we're, we're people whom God, and I may be talking to somebody here today, and you say, Mark, I'm not a cross follower. I want you to hear this. I want you to know that one of the reasons why you get turned off so many times from religion is that it's not that you know people who are truly walking with God. What you're experiencing is people who are running ahead of God, and they're making it up. And like Jonah, they're telling God who he should like and what he should do. Jonah was angry, and so he complained. Here's the second thing. When you and I start making our case to God why he should think differently, what we are basically saying is, God, my sense of justice is higher than your sense of justice. So walk with me back through what happened. Jonah told the people of Nineveh, God's going to destroy this place. They repented. God spared them. Jonah got angry and told God why he thought it was a bad idea. And then he does something really cool. Well, stupid, really, but I just think it's funny. (laughs) He goes out and sets down and watches the city to wait to see what's going to happen. That was a stupid thing to do. God had already decided what was going to happen. But Jonah thought he had made such a compelling case to God that he would just go out and see God, figure it out, and change his mind. Friend, let me tell you, when you and I wait on God to change his will, it's going to be a long wait. I mean, God had such pity on him out there watching the city to see what was going to happen. You know, Jonah's checking his watch, seeing if there was any mushroom clouds. I mean, God finally just let a gourd grow up over him, so it would at least shade him a little bit. And finally, this is really funny to me, too, God sent this worm out there. Can you imagine God talking to a worm? He's saying, okay, Mr. Worm, I want you to go just cut through the stem. How many of us have gotten full of ourselves only to have God send a worm to cut through our stem? And make us uncomfortable? What was this whole deal about? I mean, we, we, the question we've asked is, how can we know when we get full of ourselves? We say we get angry and we start complaining. Number two, we start thinking we have a better idea than God. What is it, what is it that causes us to get full of ourselves in the first place? And what can we watch out for in our lives? And it's simply this. Anytime we start feeling superiority to other people, we're in trouble. I have a message for all of you Republicans. God loves Democrats. I have a message for all you Democrats. God loves Republicans. God loves people you like. God loves people you don't like. God loves people who don't even like you. And Jonah wasn't getting this. I mean, I don't know what Jonah... I mean, here's the thing. You know, when we, when we are afraid of being embarrassed, you know... And, and I know that that's got to be the case of some of us, you know, it's like, wow, you go to that New Spring Church, well, they're kind of crazy over there. You know what I've heard that they do over there? Well, I don't know. See, when we're, when we're worried about being embarrassed, that's when we get full of ourselves. And I'm guessing, I don't know, we'll get to heaven, we'll find out. Here's what I'm guessing. You know, Jonah, first of all, when he starts preaching, he's thinking, I'm not going to get home, they're going to kill me. About three quarters of the way through town, he's thinking, hey, I'm going to survive this thing. And I'm going to go home. Now, in Jonah's mind, he's telling him, God's going to destroy this place. He thinks God is going to destroy it. He can just see when he goes back to Israel because these people have been Israel's natural enemies. I mean, they, I mean, you know, when God said to Jonah, I'm going to destroy them, Jonah's thinking, and that's a bad thing. I mean, he's just ready for God to do that. And he's thinking, okay, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to say, God sent me over there to tell the Ninevites he was going to destroy them. And boom, God sent down a bomb and just took them all away. And they're going to clap Jonah on the back and say, you rock, dude, that's awesome. You went and just wiped out our enemies. And Jonah's just thinking, that's what's going to happen when I go home. And then God spares them. He's thinking, how's that going to play in Jerusalem? 
I mean, these are the people they hate. I'm going to go over there and tell them God was going to destroy you, but then I preached and they got right. Now God's going to let them live. And Jonah's thinking, I don't really think I want to go back home and tell that story. See, the problem with Jonah, and God really gets this across to him at the end, is that Jonah feels superior to these people. For all of us who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, I want to give you a very subtle distinction, but it's a powerful one. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are given a new relationship. The Bible tells us that God writes your name in the census book of heaven, which means you will live forever, that God's Holy Spirit comes to live in you, that all your past sins are forgiven, all your future sins are forgiven, and you are God's child no matter what. Can I, can I ask you, wasn't it a good feeling when you figured that out? I mean, when that came to you and you knew what was yours because you belonged to Christ, see, what that feeling is is the feeling of being inside. Many of us have been outsiders all our lives. For one reason or another, we felt like we didn't fit any place. And then God saved us and we realized, hey, I'm inside the family. But there's a world of difference. There's a huge leap from being, a, being inside to being an insider. See, the problem with Jonah was he felt like an insider. I'm, an, I'm a Jewish person. I'm in a covenant relationship with God. These are Assyrians. God hates them. They're bad people. God doesn't love them. God doesn't want anything good to happen in their lives. I don't want to be around them. I want God to destroy them. I want God to just move them out of my picture because, see, here's the thing. Jonah had become an insider, and the very element of being an insider that separates it from being inside is the sense of superiority. I'm better. I'm better. I just thought about this in the 930 service. I'm going to tell you guys, too. I, I was in a fast food place the other day and just kind of, you know, standing in line. And, and this guy whizzed up in this huge, expensive car. I mean, very, very, very expensive car, six-figure car. He had on a nice business suit, tailored, looked very sharp. He was about my age. He's one of these guys I could tell. He was a mover and shaker. He had it going on, and it was going fast. The only thing was he had these strange-looking sunglasses on. And I know I'm backward. I don't know what's chic and what's cool. But this guy had on these sunglasses. They looked like women's sunglasses, okay? Sorry. <laughs> they were white and thick. And, and so this guy was standing next to me. Another guy was standing. He, he was like dressed in work clothes, just a very ordinary guy. And so when this, you know, whiz-bang guy walked in with this, you know, strange-looking sunglasses on, I was standing in line, and I was hearing what was going behind me. And, and, and the working guy said, um, hey, I like those sunglasses. And the guy said, yes. And, and, and so he said, well, are they any name to brand? And the guy said, yes. And then he turned to him, and, and here's what he said. I don't remember exactly word for word, but basically he said, they're a limited edition. You can't have them. <laughs> now, I'm telling you what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you couldn't pay me to wear them around town, all right? <laughs> there was a song that started playing in my head at that moment. I'm from Texas. And I was thinking about the Trace Hombres, the little band from Texas that has a song called Cheap Sunglasses. And that's what started going <laughs> over and over in my head. A little ZZ Top there. <laughs> I mean, I wanted to laugh. It was that funny. I'm thinking, I know which one of these two guys, if I had to sit down and eat a Big Mac, or I know which one of these two guys I want to sit with. I don't want to eat with the guy with the, you know, the women's sunglasses on that says you can't have these. And I was laughing, but when I walked out, all of a sudden, it hit me, and I wasn't laughing anymore. This is, about, this is what happens in so many churches. 
insiders. You can't have these. I've been a Christian for all these years. I've been to all these Bible studies. And listen, if you want to have what I have, you've got to go down the same trail. And God may want you and God may not want you. And for those of you who've had a bad experience in church, could I just plead with you to realize you haven't had a bad experience with Jesus. You haven't had a bad experience with true Christians. You just had a bad experience with some Christians who are full of themselves and they're running ahead of God. And please forgive them. And I'm the first. I'll stand first in line to tell you it stinks. You know, God, you talked to Jonah. And, and he said, Jonah, are you, I mean, God is slow, throwing slow pitches to Jonah. I mean, God is not saying, Jonah, you rascal. I mean, don't you remember you were in the belly of a fish when I found you? And God says, Jonah, are you, is it right for you to have this kind of attitude? And Jonah's saying, of course it's right. I have a right to be mad. I'm upholding justice here. And you're being too easy with people that I don't like. God says, Jonah, you're mad because of a plant. A plant that made you comfortable. And you're sorry when you lost it. God is saying, shouldn't I be sorry when there's a whole city, and here's an interesting thing. God used the, the number 120,000. How many people can, somebody remember what I said earlier? How many people lived in Nineveh? Oh, you guys have great memories, 600,000. Some of you may have a translation that says 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left. You know who God was talking about? He was talking about children. He was saying, Jonah, you don't even care about the children here. If you don't like the adults and what they've done, you don't even care about the children. By the way, let me tell you something. It won't take you long at New Spring Church to find out we care about children here. And then God said, animals, you don't even care about the animals. For any of you, this may be one of your early visits to New Spring. I want to tell you that you're in a place where people care about people who don't know Jesus yet. We care about people that hate us. We care about people whose way of thinking is counter to ours, but we care. And I don't mean just caring in, a, in an esoteric sense or sort of a general, fuzzy, theological sense. I mean, we care in real terms. I remember, I mean, God has done some awesome things at New Spring. I mean, four, four and a half years ago, if I'd preached this message, it would have been a very uncomfortable message. Now it's kind of fun because we're running with God. It's not much controversy anymore. I delivered a message almost four years ago, and I remember I was right over here. We had a table set up, and I, used, I was telling our church, I said, my vision for this church is that instead of having a, just a bunch of Christians here, because after all, our job is not to be keepers of the aquarium, it is to be fishers of men. And, and I said, I, I just envision a church where, uh, and I pointed to one chair, a third of the believers are, are committed, mature believers, and a, a third of the people here have just accepted Christ, and a third of the people here have never accepted Christ, and they're just here to explore what God may have to say to them. And I said, this is what I envision, a third mature believers, a third new believers, and a third people here who are still exploring. And when that message was over, it got back to me that we had a lady who had a kid in the youth department. I have no idea who she was or what her name was. But she had made this comment. She said, I think that we should not have any young people in our youth department who are not yet believers. I'm thinking, where does this junk come from? 
I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from Christians who have decided that somewhere along the way, I mean, they've forgotten where they used to be when God found them. They've forgotten what it was like when they were begging for God's forgiveness, and they're full of themselves, and they become insiders, and they're deciding who God should like and who he shouldn't like and what it should look like to be a Christian. I mean, that never happened to us. I never want to leave chapter 3. Do you? I've never been here like this before, and it's just too wonderful. May we just be a people that are running with God. And somebody could say, well, Mark, I'm here today, and I'm visiting New Spring, and I'm just checking New Spring out, and and I'm just wondering, you know, uh, are are we going to be a church? You know, and you're saying, Mark, I just think uh, we just ought to be teaching to Christians. Well, I just have a song for you, too. It's called Keep on Trucking, Babe, because this is not your church. This is going to be a place that cares about people. God said, Jonah, you care about worms and gourds, but you don't care about people running ahead of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done in our place and for the clarity of the vision that you brought to us. May we never forget what it was like when you saved us. May we never get full of ourselves. And no matter how long we may have the joy of serving you, may we never get that insider mentality that creates a stink that drives people away from Jesus. Thank you again for your kindness to New Spring Church. In Jesus' name. Would you just still bow your heads with me for a moment? I've talked today to believers, but it could be that you came in today and you say, Mark, I've never really embraced Christ. I've had questions, but today you've kind of rocked my boat a little bit. And for the first time, I see that some of the things that I've disliked don't really have anything to do with Jesus or even true Christianity. And if you felt that today, you've learned a wonderful, powerful truth. Whereas every once in a while in the lives of Christians, there's some repugnant stuff. There's nothing unpleasant in Jesus. And here's what the Bible says. God loves you and me so much that he gave his one and only son. Jesus came into our world, God, born of Mary, human at the same time. And he lay on a Roman cross, was nailed there and hung between heaven and earth for six hours. Suffered like we can't imagine. And when he cried out, it is finished, the way God looked at it, every sin you and I have ever committed, past or present, was effectively paid for. And God set the bar really low so that people of all ages and all places in the world could understand and respond. Here's what the Bible says. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's simple. Breaking that apart is like breaking a BB. What God is looking for from you is for you to turn from your way of life and to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you'd like to pray and make that decision today, I want to give you a chance to pray, and I'm going to pray a prayer, and I'll pray it slowly. And I won't rush through it because I want you to listen to it. What matters is what you mean. It's not the words you say, but what you mean. If you would like to call on God today and ask Jesus to be your Savior, here's a prayer, and you can pray it with me. Dear Jesus, 
I know I've done wrong. I've sinned against God. I can't pay for it myself. But I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. Please forgive me. Save me. And make me God's child. Thank you for keeping your word to me and saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, we prayed that prayer so fast. You could say, Mark, I'd pray with you, but I don't know what hit me. That was just so fast. Listen, I have a gift I want to give you. It won't cost you anything. It's just a packet. It's got some DVDs in it, some great information. All you need to do is take your worship folder now. If you prayed with me to receive Christ, just take your worship folder. There's a part that's detachable. Ooh, tore the wrong part, didn't I? I'll mail that to you. If you'll just put your name and address on there over here in this white field, you can say, I I checked the box. It says, I prayed to receive Christ with you. I'll mail that to you. If you're like me and you don't like to wait, you don't have to. All you got to do is bring this card. I'm going to point right through those middle doors. There are two zones right behind that. There's New Spring uh, guest services and New Spring store. All you have to do is just bring your card and say, I prayed with Mark. You don't have to give him a long speech, and they'll give this to you, and you take it home with you today and start your journey with Christ. We're going to get ready for the offering to be received. There are envelopes in the back of the pews right in front of you. Next weekend, we start a brand new series called Games People Play. And I can't wait to get started. It's going to be an awesome three-week series. If you'd like to invite your friends, we have little invite cards that Lance and the team made up. They look like community chest, and, and uh, they're really kind of cute. And so if you would, just take some of these if you want to invite people to the next series. Starts this next weekend.